What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I'm your host, Blake Law. This is episode 29 of the podcast. We are once again very happy you were able to join us. They say we learn the most from our losses. And that is exactly what this show aims to do. We are interviewing elite players who have lost one to two games at a major event. And we are going to have them break down the mistakes that they perceive they made and how they plan to learn from them. How often have you blamed a game on bad dice? I do it. Jack Harpster does it. Nick Nanavati does it. Everyone does it. That is exactly what the show aims to debunk. We are back from Thanksgiving break, and we are talking about all the turkey and pie we ate. So buckle in. It is going to be a real humdinger. Also, we went to Austin sometime during that time, and we are talking about all things Austin. And as always, I will be keeping it weird. We are talking Jack Templars, Black Templars versus Thick City Drukari. Now, this is part one of the podcast. In this part, we'll be analyzing the game. We'll be talking about common mistakes. We'll be talking about the secondaries that the players took, the mission. We'll be talking about the target priority. Join us for part two of the podcast, which is available to subscribers of the podcast of TheWarhammer40k.com. Oh, my gosh. TheArtOfWar40k.com. I haven't messed that up in 20 episodes. Everyone, I'm sorry. You want to listen because we are going to talk about how this army plays into your army, whether your army is combat-centric, whether it's a shooty army, whether it's a mixed balance army. We're going to ask all the hard questions and figure out how it plays. We're going to talk about list adjustments, new strategies, and we're going to talk about the elite player mindset. I'm joined by a new co-host today for a one and only one-time appearance. Guess who's back? back again guess who's back jack is back jack is back jack is here to co-host talking black jack templars he is a nova invitational champion he is a battle for salvation champion he has had three top finishes at bay area open in both 2018 and 2019 most recently he won clutch city in fifth place the dallas open he came in 10th place fourth place at gw orlando sixth place at gw new orleans he had a top 10 finish most recently at Games Workshop Austin. He had 11th place finish at ACO and 4th place at Crucible. The namesake of my child, Mr. Jack Harpster. Hello, hello, hello. Glad to be back. Uh, glad to hear, be here to talk uh, about Black Templars with Sasha because I've been putting up uh, games with Black Templars on stream, but uh, Sasha's been putting up results in real life, so it's going to be great to talk to him about it. Well, I'll tell you, for one, you you completely ruined my intro to the guest. Um, everyone just forget that for a second because you're going to hear it in a minute. Um, two, I feel like your your acceptance of my intro was like very lackluster. I need you to be more excited. Come in with some enthusiasm. Really just dive into the fact that I named my child after you, man. I'm, I don't even know what to say. Uh, I've, I've accepted the fact you named your child after me. Honestly, it's an honor, but like after a bit, you know, you get used to it. Enough yeah. people name their child after you. You know, it's just another Tuesday. Old John Jack. Gotcha. Our guest today, everyone needs to buckle in as I butcher his name. I'm sorry. Just deal with it. He's a 2016-2017 Nova overall champion. The 2019 Nova runner-up. He won overall in 2016 for the Battle of Salvation. In 2021, this year, he finished 8th overall at ACO. 
He was a runner-up for the Battle of Salvation. He recently finished best overall at GW Austin, well, where he will be earning his spot at the GW finale this weekend, and he will face the final boss, Blake Law. Mr. Sasha Edelkraut. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for having me on today. Thank you for the amazing introduction, and I'm so happy to be here to you. How bad did I put your name there? Can you give us a proper pronunciation of that last name? Yeah, it wasn't bad. So my first name is Zasha, and then the last name is Edelkraut. Oh, man, that's that, there was no way I was doing that, and I apologize for it. I'm just, my accent can't do it. I, yeah. I'm sorry. Just try to say it three times very fast. <laughs> so, man, I don't want to summon you to my house, man. Jeez. Um, <laughs> Sasha, what is the most Christmas-themed model that you can think of in the game right now? The most Christmas-themed model? Yeah. Uh, Bellacore. Bellacore. Why, why Bellacore? That's a very Christmas. Why, why, is he, why is he Christmassy? I think he has some bells on him, doesn't he? Yeah, he has all those chains in his wings, and he has heads and skulls and stuff hanging from them. I mean, if he's not the most Christmas spirit model, I haven't seen any other one. Oh, it's like the ghost of Christmas past. Yeah, man, I dig it. I dig it. Jack, what do you think? What's your Christmas model? I would have to vote for Santa on his sled. Logan Grimnar. Oh, that's a really good one, actually. Both excellent choices. Um, I applaud you. What about you, Blake? Um, I'm going to go with um, Thanksgiving. We talked about Papa Nurgle, and I'm going to stick with it, man. Papa Nurgle is he? He gives. He's a Just seasonal model. Giving. He gives. Li- everyone loves him. He he gives gifts all season, year round, regardless of Christmas. I'm going to go Papa Nurgle. Okay, so thank you behind that. Let's get right into it, man. Let's talk about the event. We were all there actually at GW Austin last weekend. I guess two weekends ago now. Um, what did you think about the event? What did you think about the terrain layout? Just give me all the details on the event. Um, all right, I guess I would start. Um, the terrain layout is very unique to all of the GW Warhammer tournaments they did this year in the US. Uh, you have four major pieces of ruins in the corners, um, another two slightly smaller ones, but still large in the center of the board, and then four forests around it. Um, I like the intention behind the terrain. It's um, well laid out, and it's very fun to play on. I do, though, sometimes think that on certain deployments, it's too favoring for melee armies. So there are certain deployments where it's almost impossible to get any shooting angles uh, into the opponent's deployment zone, or even the other side of the board. Um, And it makes uh, certain rules just much more powerful, fight last, small melee units that can trade really well. And um, I realized it in a bunch of games myself. I mean, playing a more melee-focused army with Black Templar, um, I was able to benefit of that quite often. But overall, I would say it's a a great layout. Um, I personally love the plexiglass bases. I think they're dope. just the terrain density. I feel like the same terrain, but the base is slightly smaller, and it will be perfect. I agree with that, actually. And you'll see for my transition from Orlando to New Orleans, I actually brought in three units of five Rust Stalkers for the exact reason you were talking, just small units that can trade well mid-board. Yeah, that, that one where the two, the two obscuring terrains almost touch in the center, it's so brutal if you're a shooting army. You just can't see anything until you go up and actually touch it and be able to look right through it. Yeah, exactly. And then usually you're right there where your opponent can also charge and shoot you. And it's like, if you are shooting army, that's not where you want to be. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Melee armies just post up in the center of that board. It's just you can't approach them at all. Is that, uh, is that where we got the, the Blood Angel finish in Orlando? Is that one of the reasoning behind it there, Jack? Well, I mean, 
larger amounts of terrain definitely benefit combat armies, as I'm sure Sasha is about to tell us, because uh, he played a fairly cool close combat Black Templars army. But yeah, I mean, that, that's that's mostly what it is, is that a lot of terrain favors close combat. And if there's not a lot of terrain, then you're going to be seeing shooting uh, pop up a whole lot. And that's just kind of been a dichotomy that's existed through 40K since it's been around, since I remember at least. What's interesting, actually, and I just realized this, as we're talking about Games Workshop Austin, the Games Workshop finale is next weekend, or this coming weekend, and all three of us will actually be there. Jack, you will be there representing the side of people who dominated in gameplay. Sasha, you're there for overall Austin. I'm there as the wild card, which I think appropriately describes me. I'm the wild card for the overall, so uh, that's pretty cool. We have three of the three of the eight here on this podcast right now. Huh, that would be an interesting podcast idea to try and get everyone on the same podcast right before uh, the event. Unfortunately, it's this weekend, and so that would be hurting cats, but uh, quite interesting. Maybe and I we're can pick your brains for what you're going to play during the uh, exhibition games. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm playing Brad, actually. I, I know that. They, they messaged me today, so I'm real excited for that. Maybe I'll play uh, play some Jack Harpster on Sunday. We'll just have oh. to wait and see, I guess. That'd be a ton of fun. They haven't told me anything yet, so uh, we'll find out. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun, uh, fun weekend. So, Sasha, tell us a little bit about the list that you brought to Games Workshop Austin. You brought Black Templars. It was the old rules, I believe. Why don't you just walk us through the list a little bit? Correct. Uh, it was the last tournament uh, with the index rules. Uh, my list hasn't changed in the past couple of months, so I pretty much brought the same list to, to other events. So if you had seen my list there or played me at one of those tournaments, you will know what I had. Um, to give a quick rundown, uh, my army was very much focused around three characters that synergize really well between them. I had a Captain on bike uh, with a relic that's called the Aurelian Shroud. Um, it's still in the new book, but slightly modified. Basically, what it did and now does is to give a unit, a core unit within three inches, a four beam vulnerable safe uh, for one turn. So for a full battle round, you use it at the beginning of a battle round. You say this turn, my character gets an aura three inches. Everything within that aura has a four beam vulnerable safe. Um, that changed to infantry. So now it will not affect any more dreadnoughts, which is what I was using it for. I was using it mostly for my two Redemptor Dreadnoughts to give them one turn where they can step out, they step forward and take a lot of punishment and can make through it. Um, my other two HQ options were two chaplains, um, the old version of Chaplain Grimaldus. Um, he had two canticles, Fervent Acclamation, which is a very subtle but extremely powerful one and unfortunately has changed in the new book. It gave you plus three inch range on your auras and then anyone within range to him would get plus three to their aura. So basically what happened is that all my auras, including a feeling of pain, um, was nine-inch auras, allowing me to hide my characters really easily and still have my units that would be mid-board within range because nine inches is pretty large. And then my other chaplain on bike um, had rights of four to give units the, the really powerful rule obsec. And then he gave my units plus two to charge and plus three to pylon and consolidate with the litany of hate. And then he had the recitation of focus for plus one to it in the shooting phase, which I actually never got to use in the entire tournament. I think I used it once. Um, and then for my troop choices, I just had three Crusader squads with chainswords. Uh, my heavy support, I had two units of eliminators. Um, the sergeant having the Oculus bolt rifle, which lets the unit move after shooting. I did spend the extra CP here um, to give one of the sergeants uh, the witch seeker bolt. Basically, what they do is if the sergeant lands a hit um, on top of the regular damage, the unit, if they are a psyker, 
they also suffer D3 mortal wounds. And in a meta where Grey Knights are so strong, I was like, even if I just face Grey Knight once, the CP that I spend will be worth um, its money in gold. And in fact, it was when I played Grey Knights, I did um, quite some wounds with this guy. Um, I had a Whirlwind, mostly just using it for the fight last stratagem. And then in my elite slot, I had the two already bespoken Redemptor Dreadnoughts with Macroplasma, Icarus Rocket Pod, the small Gatling Cannon, and Storm Vultures. A unit of five blade guard, a unit of five terminators, usually in deep strike, and um, apothecary, and a ten-man vanguard vet squad, uh, thunderhammer on the sergeant, and everyone else with claws and all of them storm shields. And that's my list. Well, I want you to tell me right now how am I going to beat you? Um, just give me all the answers to that because um, when we play this weekend, I just need this. This episode's all about extracting all your secrets. So um, just give those to me now. <laughs> So that's, the secrets have changed quite a bit. So from <laughs> Old Templar to New Templar, the Old Templar were an army that was very tricky and extremely fast because they were able to move in the opponent's turn, which they still can, but before they were able to do up to six inches, now they can only do three inches. Um, and then they had a stratagem to give uh, infantry or bike units advance and charge, and that also disappeared. Now it's advance and shoot rapid-fire weapons. It's like hard and work. It sucks, but shooting. anyway, <laughs> combat army shooting. Yeah, yeah I'm exactly. sure you have a lot of other great uh, tidbits for us. We're gonna we're gonna dig into that in part two. I mm -hmm. feel like Jack is. We're gonna call it the Jack Hour because normally it's the Bradning or the Brad Hour, but we have Jack here, and he's gonna talk some Black Templars with you in part two. We're gonna really uh, really strat it up then. Uh, Jack, why don't you go ahead and read us Mr. Richard Siegler's list, which I believe Sasha played in round four of Austin. That's I believe correct. Sasha made. Uh, <clears throat> made top cut so it should have been round five i think That's no I, I played in round four unfortunately and just didn't i just missed the top cut because of that unfortunately because yeah you, you usually do make top cut but you know if you run into seeks you run into seeks and that's just kind of the way things go um so his list is pretty it's a pretty nasty concoction it is uh it is a lot of coven's drukari so it's a drukari list uh, it starts out with artisans of the flesh which is minus one damage which is just makes his units very durable. So he has a homunculus with the grenade that lets him go up one tier on power from pain. He has a gigantic unit of 18 racks with an ossifactor that lets him fire and fade. After they advance, he has two units of five racks. He has two units of four grotesques. He has two units of two talos. And then he goes into a dark technomancer's detachment. This is to make the Kronos really nasty. He has a succubus with show stealer, triptych whip, and Quicksilver Fighter, uh, another five-man unit of racks, three Kronos, all with, with every gun, three Kronos with every gun, and then he has a Blackheart Detachment with a unit of eight Slits and Urghuls, an Archon with the Fight's Last, uh, the Fight's Last Warlord trait, and Gin Blade, another five racks and five Mandrakes, and it's just a big wall of beef that's very hard to deal with, and it hits you very, very hard. And it actually uh, won the event for those who weren't tuned in. That's uh, Sasha actually lost at the cutoff to the list that ultimately won, piloted by probably one of the strongest players in the game right now. So an unfortunate roadblock to meet indeed in uh, the round before the cutoff. That's right. But if you want to make it to the top, you got to be ready to face those lists. That is well-spoken. And I am excited to hear all about this game. Why don't you tell us what mission y'all started on? So we played Sweep and Clear. Um, 
basically that's four objectives uh, in the center of each quadrant basically and then one objective in the center of the board and i feel like right here i already made the biggest mistake um because like many of you usually you go with a little plan or that's at least what i do i go with like a preset plan into each uh mission and this one has uh, the secondary specific one, which is direct assault, where you get three points for holding the center board. And I would say most people probably usually tend to take this one because what you end up doing is you trade small units into the center, knowing that you score three points, um, which was a giant mistake um, before we started the game. And as Jake had introduced Richard's list, his list is extremely durable. It's not the fastest list, but it likes to sit in a spot and can hold that spot really well. And when it needs to, it can actually be pretty fast and extremely hard hitting. And that's sort of where I already made my first mistake. And I would say actually what cost me the game, because during turn one, I realized what I did. And what I did is I really doubled down on that center objective. I took stranglehold for holding three objectives, usually a pretty safe 12 to 15 points for my list. I took direct assault, same story, hold that center objective at the end of your turn. And then I also took Oath of the Moment, which is a Space Marine specific one. Um, Seekless list had a bunch of monsters and characters. I was pretty confident I could kill a couple of those to get a couple points on um, for Oath of the Moment. I was pretty sure I will not fall back or fail leadership. So that's five points right there. And then if towards the end of the game, I can hold the center, which I want to do anyway, I will get a couple two-pointers for Oath of the Moment. So going into the game, I felt very happy about the secondaries. I was like, this is great. Um, and I even, once we got to the deployment step, I looked at Ziegler's list, and I was like, all right, I'm pretty sure he will deploy everything very aggressively. And that's actually when I had realized for the first time when I was like, he's going to deploy aggressively. And then he started to deploy aggressively where I was like, wait, I didn't think this through. And that's where it all started. So your your problem is you uh, you realize like, okay, he has all this durable, like insanely hard to kill stuff and he's, he's going mid board. So if, uh, if you can't take him, if you can't pull him off that middle objective, your whole secondary plan is kind of debunked. Exactly, exactly. So that's basically what I started I mean, I saw it, and then once we start turn one, he had a uh, first turn, so he moved up, moved on to the center objective, and that's where I realized I was like, oh, crap, this was actually a terrible idea um, that I actually want that center objective. I should have gone way more for board control objectives instead of um, stranglehold. I should have done um, engage on all fronts, being able to use my smaller units, put them in corners, um, maybe use some CP on strategic reserve so I can force Siegler to keep some unit in his backfield so he cannot focus everything he had. Um, maybe do banners. It might not have been as great, but I would have scored more points, um, way more points than what I did uh, because the two objectives in your deployment are inside the ruins, so it was extremely easy to hold them. Um, it's almost impossible, actually, to take those objectives away um, while you stand in those DW ruins, if you stay an inch wall from the wall, can't be charged, so the opponent got to get all the way around those walls. Um, it's really awkward in that sense, but I could have held those very easily. And um, yeah, so I should have done for more. I should have thought first, really, how does this army play? What would he do with it? And then choose my secondaries accordingly to that. 
instead of going with the plan I usually had on this mission, which was just like double down on the center. You are melee army. You want to be in the center anyway. But I found my opponent that was more melee oriented and tougher than my list, much tougher. And um, I didn't adjust early enough to uh, yeah, change that around. You know what's what's really funny about uh, what you exactly just said is I feel like that's one of the most common, and especially because it was t- played twice at this event, that's one of the really common pitfalls, I feel like, with um, the direct assault mission is because I feel like most people build their list and they say, all right, when I hit this one, I'm going to take direct assault, I'm going to take stranglehold. And I, I feel like an like, easy majority of players think that way. And so when you go against a list where someone thinks the same way and their list is just going to absolutely floor yours in that situation like a lot like myself included like i just default out i default into okay direct assault stranglehold and then i'm like oh crap i look across i'm like oh well i can't beat this all uh custodes dreadnought list there's no way which for the record that happened to me also at at games workshop austin uh that was that was my uh, my pitfall but yeah i think that's a that's a good one to focus in on man because uh a pretty common thing we see yeah it really came down to that i mean the rest of the game was still it was a good game. It was a little bit falling back. We started trading turn one. Um, and I feel like this is what you mentioned before. Yes, you could have blamed the dice. You had a couple of good rolls. I had a couple of bad rolls. But all of that was extremely irrelevant. Um, Siegler had a much better list design. Um, he, he knew how to go into the game. He knew how resilient his list is. And then without a sliver of doubt, he was... And he already... I mean, I don't want to say that he didn't put any strategy. He already had even planned two steps ahead where he was like, what if I realize it early enough, which I didn't, and start instead of going for the center objective, start to harass his backfield objective. So Ziegler even kept one unit of Kronos' back from the main fight, which was the center, to keep it on one of his easier-to-reach home objectives, um, having already basically a plan B to be like, all right, if I change my tactics, if I use my very fast Vanguard veteran unit, and instead of using that unit to clear out the center, which I did, and I cleaned out the 18 rack unit, but then were lost and were dead basically right after, if I would have used him to go after his easy-to-reach backfield objective, um, he already had a plan B there. Be ready to be like, all right, <laughs> you want to come here with those Vanguard vets? Great, I will just flame you to death. Yeah, so, I mean... So if you're trying to play for the center, then he's got a plan to just try and beat you straight up because his army is very, very tough to kill and hits very hard. And if you try and run around his backfield, he had the flamers set up to just clear you out if you tried to do that too. Yeah, so that was really, I mean, that, that's where in turn one, I almost got uh, defeated mentally already because I saw how he deployed. And when I started seeing how he was moving, I was like, all right, he's actually putting those chronos there because... One thing you always got to think about and what I tell my like little group of people I, I practice with is till you reach a certain point in any game, don't focus maybe on necessarily being better. Um, try to make less mistakes. Like I always tell people when they play volleyball for the first time, it's like great reference. It's like try to just get the ball over the net because it's more likely that your opponents will mess up than you actually making a good spike. And in Warhammer, it's very similar. It's you want to try to actually minimize your mistake um, till you reach the point where you're so comfortable with your game, where you're like, I will not make any mistakes. And that's when you need to grind out those extra details of just playing also much better than your opponent. Um, 
And I realized that in turn one, like we started moving, the pieces were set, and I saw how far advanced Siegler had already played through this match in his head, or maybe in practice games. And when I saw then when the dice were being rolled, how how incredibly tough his list is, which I had not practiced against the list, so I, I absolutely no idea. Like I made the math in my head quickly in the five minutes pre-game, and I was like, hmm, okay, if I have so many attacks, this will happen, this will happen. Um but then at that point, it was pretty much too late. And I almost conceded turn one. I was like, all right, turn two, we talked it out. I was like, this and this and this is going to happen. Siegler said pretty much. We played turn two. We played most of turn three. And then we basically cut it. And I was like, all right, next turn, I'm just going to get this and this. And the game will be over. What um, What was your target priority? So let's say that you had chosen like different secondaries and you were playing kind of uh an around the board game, like your ideal game almost in that situation. What what would have been your priority versus his list? Like in hindsight, what are you what are you looking at and saying that's dying, that's dying, then that's dying? Uh not really as much. I don't think there's any priority in this list because all of his units are really they have a role and you need to get through whatever unit is on the objective you want to take. So it really would have come down more of being able because my list is very fast almost any unit of mine can reach a good 24 inches um which is usually enough to get one objective to the next one so it would have been more about like okay i really need to focus on taking off down that objective and that objective those are less defended and then take the <laughs> the repercussion and getting punched by a lot of uh, racks taluses and characters so less of like a unit i would say I got to kill this and this and this. It would have been more like, all right, I got to trade here. I can trade better here and I can take him off these objectives. Yeah, and the game, um, I feel like what I showed, I've also done here, strategically speaking, um, I knew that three people would make the cut into the top bracket, um, losing one game, but still having a really high score. So actually post game, what I was thinking about, I was like, that's why I said banners. I knew I would have lost banners. so. I was pretty sure I would have lost that game no matter what, um, just because our army lists were very, like I had very little to counter his strength. We were both very much focused on melee and resilience, but his list was better melee and more resilient. And all I had was shooting um, with my dreadnoughts, but giving the terrain, there was, I had one turn of shooting. Um, and that was because he gave it to me almost, because it was like, all right, I already got the center board, so I can just take it now. Um, so what I should have done once I realized that was to be like, okay, how can I lose this game, but still get an 85-point score maybe, um, so that I can still enter the top bracket. That makes sense, because, I mean, you're you're on the fourth round, and you're, you got to think about, like, um, how can you minimize his ability to max his score while maximizing yours? And I think that, like you said, like the board control secondaries were probably your best bet for that because you could have you could have probably taken banners and gotten what like a ten or something maybe because he he's not he's not necessarily super fast he's just really he's gonna sit there in the middle and feed you things. Correct. So with banners, the way how those big ruins work is it would have been impossible for him to take those banners off because he would never be able to outscore me without getting all the way around the board and then charging me from behind almost. So I would have gotten 10 points on banners. I should have uh, taken engage on all fronts, which I would have scored a good 9 to 12 points. Um, and then for my third one, uh, I don't recall what I had 
thought about, but I had something else in mind back then where I was like, I could have probably even still oath of the moment because I would never fall back. I would still kill a Kronos or Talos here from time to time. And if I would have gone second, I could still get a couple points for center board and then same, get like a good 10, 15 points, score my 40 on primary, add it all up and have a solid 84, 85, which would have made me the top cut because my first three games I won very high. Um, so with those, we could have almost called the game in deployment and be like, all right, you're going to get 100, I'm getting my 85, end game. <laughs> oh, jeez. Is there a way you could have denied his primary? Like, I think like secondary, you almost stand no ch- no chance versus that list because you're not going to get him off the middle. He's just taking it and he's just staying there, and that's that's what that's what's happening. So is there a way for you to maybe have, like you said, like maybe taken on the Kronos, had a strategy to like, uh, if you had put some reserves back or something like that, was there a way for you to get back there and take that? Um, I actually did that. I planned for that. So I spent three CP pregame to put three units in strategic reserve. I put my terminators in deep strike. Um, but the problem is with this list, he has also so many small chaff units that he can almost completely screen you out from uh. deep strike. Um, so the only unit that could reliably reach from my ruin and my deployment zone to his, like along the long edge, basically. So if you think about the table, short edge, long edge, to reach from my long edge objective to his long edge objective, the only unit that could reach in one turn would be the Vanguard Vets. And he literally had set up so he had two lines of units so that he knew where I can get with my movement phase and with my charge phase, I cannot jump over opponent, like my opponent's unit. So I could have only charged those first two lines of defense, even if I would have gotten super lucky with my whirlwind killing maybe four out of those five racks. Could have only charged the second one and then right behind them, just out of charge distance, basically. He had his chronosis that just had a giant smile on their lips, be like, Vanguard <laughs> 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 Vets, great. Yeah, right. love killing Marines. It's their favorite thing. Their strength five plus one to wound, AP two, two damage. Just they they kill Vanguard Vets like like they're rubber. It's it's crazy. It's like melting butter. Well, Sasha, thanks for recounting that game for us. I know that's a tough one for you because it's almost like a hammer to your nail on that mission because you're you, you can't get him off the middle, and so I feel like that's a hard one to really talk about. But one of the things that our view, our listeners commonly ask is, how do you sit down after an event and you've lost a game? How do you sit back down and think about like analyzing it? Like, where was the mistake I made? Like, what's your process for that? Um, sort of what I recounted. So basically. I already started doing a turn one right when I saw I was like, oh, this, this is not going to go anywhere. I started to think what could I have done better. Um, maybe also sometimes it's even good to, during, to do it during your game already because I was like, oh, maybe I come up with an idea how I can turn this around, uh, which I didn't because Siegler had already planned for it, which like an incredible game on him. It was a lot of fun to play him um, just because you could literally see the moves he did in the head where he was like, I know that this could have more this. Um, so what I did after the game, after we finished, I just sat down. I usually don't remove my miniatures immediately. I just stare at the board, try to get a good picture of everything and just try to think about it again. Be like, all right, you did well thinking about what Siegler will deploy. And he deployed that way. He went for the center. What could you do different? And that's when I came up with the idea. Be like, all right, this looked like an extremely hard to win matchup from the beginning. And giving the kind of format for the tournament was I should have tried immediately not go for the win, but just a good point score. And with that, go for those secondaries um, that I just bespoke, banners, I would have gotten an easy 10, engage on all front, good 9 to 12 points, and then oath of the moment for an 8 
And if I go second, I could have even got 15 probably out of it. Um, so that's definitely something I should have done. And um, yeah, that, that's, that was really the biggest thing, trying to think through his list, uh, trying to think through my list, maybe even taking a couple more risks. I had one moment where my Vanguard bots could have charged um, most of his racks his grotesque and his archon and the way how um the fight last with the archon works is if at the beginning of the fight phase a unit is within engagement range he can pick them they don't fight all other units did but uh, vanguard vets or all space marine with jump packs actually have access to a one cp stratagem hammer of wrath which at the end of the charge phase for every unit or miniature not unit miniature model within engagement range to an opponent's model you may roll a single d6 and if you beat or equal his toughness they take a model wound so i could have actually gotten seven vanguard vets within an inch of his archon and if i would have rolled five three ups on seven dice which is slightly below average i would have killed um the archon with mortal wounds and then would not have fight last, would have killed, which I had done the other way also, all of his 18 racks, and then would have just need to survive the attacks from three grotesques, um, which would have killed some Vanguard bats, but would have left me in a much better situation because then the Archon would have been dead with his fight last, which later actually came up um, twice, um, where the Archon just makes you fight last and you don't do anything. So that's something you can definitely do when you see you are the underdog, when you see this is not going to go great. Um, you should take a couple more risks. I ended up not doing it because I was still in the mentality, all right, don't throw away unit, try to score high so you can still get into the top bracket. But that was definitely the wrong move. And um, yeah, it cost me the victory in the game, which was probably already lost early on but then also the entrance, my ticket to the top bracket. You had said something uh, before we started recording that I th thought was interesting. You said you'd taken some notes on this game. Did you? Do you actually physically take notes? Like afterwards, you write down a notebook or anything like that? I do. I actually keep a journal of all my games. Um, I don't play too many games, so I always have uh, a laminated board where I just score the game, but then I also have a little journal book where I take notes, write down. I usually don't write down the games I win by a lot. It's like, Sorry, but you don't learn a whole lot from those. But the games that are very close or I lose, I, I always take some notes. And sometimes on the flight back or on, on the drive back, if I'm not driving, I just go through those notes um, because it is the better practice when you don't, when you can't play enough games, that is a lot of practice because I usually don't make mistakes twice then. Like I see my notes, I'm like, oh yeah, don't take stranglehold. <laughs> 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 direct assault against the list that's tougher than you and can sit in the center of the board and um yeah so i have a little journey and for the entire year of 2021 i have all my games that were relevant important i have little notes in there well you're gonna you're gonna have a note in your notebook uh from the game we play this weekend and it's just gonna say eh, blake was nice and you're gonna have a little smiley face drawn or something i don't know you know it's, there's, there's not gonna be any tactical tactical genius coming that way you might not even mention it it might not i might not make the book a little, you know a little note that just has a B plus S and a little heart. Yeah, yeah, B plus S, a little heart, and um, you know what? My goal for this weekend is to make Sasha's notebook. I want to, I want to play him a good enough game where I'm in his notebook. That, that, that's that's all I want. Respectable. I will, I will keep it in mind. <laughs> you want to make the list? I want to make the list, man. Well, Sasha, we actually have a little Q and A at the end of this episode. We do. It's for the War Room members who are subscribers to the War Room. 
uh, chat at theartofwar40k.com. Did not mess it up this time. So go over there, check it out, join the war room. You can ask questions of our guests beforehand, and we will include them at the end of the episode. So I have one question for you, which I'm pretty sure you're going to answer for us if you haven't already in the next episode, but it's from Sam and he says, Hey, Sasha, will you stay loyal to the Black Templars with the new supplement or have you got the wondering eye? Um, <laughs> so I, I will stay loyal to the Black Templar. Um, in parts, I like the new rules. I think they're one of the best written rules ever um, in any codex. Um, they have a lot of depth and a lot of really cool um, items. Um, but also there's a very pragmatic approach to it. Um, because I usually know that I drop one game in a big tournament. I usually literally, if there's eight rounds, I win seven. If there's six rounds, I win five. Um, but I usually always have a very good paint score. And that's most tournaments. If I don't win best overall, I win best painted. So I stick to those two things. And I have one army, my Imperial Fist, that I play as Fist or Templar and just slowly add units. And it, it serves me well. That's it is a man- beautiful looking army. When you see it in person, I've seen your display board as well that you had. I I don't know if you're able to fly with it, but it is a large like gantry uh, imperial like factory sort of setting, and your army looks gorgeous on it. Thank you, much appreciated. It's uh, it's uh, like for all of us that paint <laughs> and do conversions. It's a uh, it's a piece of love. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us, man. I'm looking forward to part two. I'm gonna have jack do the jack hour or the jackening i guess we could call it um he's gonna really just talk some black templars with you um i'll be there to throw occasional joke in i don't know what i have to offer in that sense but we're gonna do it man it's gonna be interesting because the uh black templars are changing literally this weekend you're playing the new book so it'll be interesting to go over like what you changed what you learned from the old book and uh, how you're carrying it forward over to the new one yeah it's gonna be exciting so make sure to join us for part two where we'll be talking about black templars the new book the second phase. I'm excited. Also, make sure to join our other podcast. We have The Art of War Vanilla, also known as The Art of War Condescending, because they're constantly berating our show on their show, but we are the superior show, I hate to say, with Steve Joel and Johnny Lennon. Also, listen to The Art of War Down Under with the late and great and now American Adam Camilleri. We, of course, are the Art of War Pistachio. You didn't know you liked us till you tried us. Thanks for listening. Make sure to join all our other content at theartofwar40k.com. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. Theartofwar40k.com. 